Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Famous last words. Famous last words. There's something about that phrase that piques our attention, right? Like famous last words. Sometimes they can be even lighthearted. Like the guy whose famous last words were, hold my beer and watch this. Or the woman who never felt her family took her seriously. She had her famous last words inscribed on her tombstone. It said, see, I told you I was sick. But usually famous last words are a lot more profound, especially if those famous last words are spoken by or written by someone who knows that these are their last words. Now I bring that up because we're spending some time as a church in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, which in fact is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the closest member of his spiritual family, a pastor named Timothy who Paul refers to as his spiritual son. And this letter is Paul's famous last words. He's in prison in Rome, Rome under the command of the psychopath Nero. When Christians were thrown in jail in 66 AD under Nero, they did not come out alive. And so Paul sits down and he writes this letter, knowing that these will be among the last words that he ever writes. So he's thinking to himself, what can I say that would be important? that would be memorable, that would really help Timothy. And here's the amazing thing. Even though Paul wrote this letter in 67 AD, according to God's plan, it was placed in our Bible. So it still is helping us today. Let's jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. By the way, welcome Southside Church online and Southside Church in person. I'm joining the online group today. So here we go. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 8. Therefore, I remind you, Timothy, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Timothy is fed up. Timothy is sick and tired. If you read through the two letters that are written by Paul to Timothy that we find in our New Testament, that's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We studied 1 Timothy before Christmas. We're studying 2 Timothy now. You'll find that Timothy is fed up. Specifically, Timothy is scared. See, Timothy is a pastor in a church called Ephesus, and there's a lot of dissension. There's a lot of disunity. There's a lot of division. And Paul has to keep telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, stand your ground. Stand firm. Don't go anywhere, Timothy. Tell those dividers, tell those disunifiers, tell them to cut it out. But Timothy is sick and tired, and he's scared. And you could tell as you read through these two letters that Timothy is kind of contemplating finding an easier church to pastor at, or maybe more likely finding an easier way to live his life than that of being a pastor. It's funny because I remember when I became lead pastor of Southside Church, when I made that transition, there was about 400 people who called Southside Church home. And at the end of the one year of me being lead pastor, there was 400 people who called Southside Church home. But it was almost exclusively a completely different 400. And I want you just to take a second and imagine the upheaval. (laughs) Imagine the dialogue. Imagine that year. And it was really stressful. And there was times that I was sick and tired and I was fed up. 
And I remember after I would preach every single Sunday, the way that I took home would always bring me past a truck stop. And I would always have this daydream as I drove past the truck stop. I would say, man, wouldn't it be great to be a truck driver? It's kind of funny when I think about it now, you know. What could be less controversial than a truck driver? Surely. Welcome to 2022. Anything is possible. But anyways, I remember looking at those trucks and thinking, man, to be a truck driver. The open road. The open road. The open road. But I began to think about something. And I want to have you think about it today too. There's a spiritual battle raging in our world. It's a battle of light versus darkness, hope versus despair, kindness versus cruelty, life versus death. And the church, well, let's be specific. This church is God's idea, established by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pick a side in that battle. So if you preach at this church, you've picked a side. If you sing at this church, you've picked a side. If you're a youth leader at this church, you've picked a side. If you are a Southside Kids volunteer at this church, you've picked a side. If you shake hands at this church, if you pray for this church, if you give to this church, if you invite to this church, you've chosen a side. You've chosen the side of hope and light and life and kindness. And that really matters, you know. Because you have a spiritual enemy named the devil, and he's chosen a side too. And he's chosen the side of death, despair, darkness, and cruelty. And when you have chosen a side, as you have, whether you're online or in person right now, when you have chosen a side, he will oppose you. And one of the primary means that he will use to oppose you is he will send to you a spirit of fear. And Paul says to Timothy... And it's in our Bible, so he says it to you too. It's a spirit of fear that you can't overcome. See, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more that you shatter this illusion of self-sufficiency. You shatter this illusion of self-sufficiency. Like, the longer you walk with Jesus, the victories do become greater. The stakes do become higher. And the reason is, is because more and more, you're able to shatter this illusion of self-sufficiency. You come to this conclusion, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So I'm not self-sufficient anymore. I lean on God. If I want to defeat the spirit of fear that's coming against me, I need God. And you see it all around you today. There's a spirit of fear running rampant in our world today. You've seen it. There's a spirit of fear wreaking havoc in our world today. You've seen it. There's a spirit of fear leaving a trail of destruction in our world today. You have seen it. So have I. It's people who are robbed of the opportunity to have joy in today because they're overwhelmed with this fear of what might happen tomorrow. They're overwhelmed with this fear of a worst case scenario that's just on the other side of every horizon. There's people who are robbed of the opportunity to take the beauty of this moment because they're overwhelmed with this fear of missing out on something better. There's people, people who are robbed of the opportunity to have a friend because they're overwhelmed with the fear of being vulnerable. There's people who are missing out on the chance to love because they're overwhelmed with the fear of being hurt. There's people who are robbed of the opportunity to cheer other people on, to encourage others, to take joy in others' joy 
because they're overwhelmed with this fear that someone else's success actually makes me a failure. There are people who are losing the opportunity to shine the gifts that God gave them because they're overwhelmed with this fear of being criticized. There's people who are losing the opportunity to be themselves, the me that they were created to be because they're overwhelmed with this fear of standing out. There's people who are losing the chance to lead because they're overwhelmed with the fear of being opposed. There's people who are losing the chance to be content. The absolute gift of contentedness. They're losing it because they're overwhelmed with this fear that if I don't have more than him and him and her and her and them, I'm not enough. And there's people all over, if you really look, if you really look, there's people all over our world today that are missing out on the chance to love one another, to unite, to do life together, because they're overwhelmed with this fear that if anyone disagrees with them, that it threatens their safety, their security, their sanity, or even their value. There's a spirit of fear in our world today. You've seen it. It's leaving a wake of destruction in our world today. You've seen it. It's wreaking havoc in our world today. You've seen it. And Paul would say to you, and Paul would say to me today, no, 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 no. No, you be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You stand your ground. And Paul specifically says three things that God wants to do for you and do for me today. He wants to give us power, and he wants to give us love, and he wants to give us a sound mind. So number one, we need to pray, and we need to ask God, God, we're shattering this illusion of self-sufficiency, so we need you to help us overcome the spirit of fear. Would you please give us power? Power to overcome this fear of being wrong. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could imagine or ask or request in your wildest dreams. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or ask or request in your wildest dreams. Man, I love that. God makes the impossible possible. When the world says I can't, God says I can. When, when I feel unable, God says that's okay because I'm able. God can do anything, you know, far more than you can imagine or ask or request in your wildest dreams. But then the verse goes on. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. There's people all over the world today. And they're praying, God, please send me a miracle. I need a miracle in my marriage. I need a miracle in my family. I need a miracle in my dating. I need a miracle in my friend group. I need a miracle at work. I need a miracle at church. God, please send me a miracle. And God answers your prayer. And he gently speaks into your life. And he points out something in your life that needs to change. But in this world today, there's this overwhelming fear of being wrong. So part of us wants to look at God and say, were you not listening? Like, did, did you not listen to my prayer, God? I said I need you to change my marriage. I don't need you to change me. I said I need you to change my family. I don't want you to change me. I need you to change my friendships. I didn't ask you to change me. And yet we read in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and it says this. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
So God in his kindness looks at your marriage. He looks at your family. He looks at your friend group. And he speaks into your life. And he says, this is where you get to change. In his kindness, God says, you want to change your marriage? Here's how you do it. Let me change you. And when he does that, we got one of two choices, right? We can, we can shout him down or we can listen up. We can shout him down or we can listen up. So we've got this overwhelming fear of being wrong, right? So sometimes when God speaks into our life and points out something that needs to change, there's a part of us that wants to shout him down. I don't want to change. 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 I don't want to change like a little kid. But be careful what you wish for, right? You might just get it. Imagine that, spending your whole life crying out to God for a miracle in your marriage, but never, ever being willing to change yourself. Imagine crying out to God for a miracle in your friend group, but never, ever being willing to change yourself. What a sad, sad way to live. We can shout him down or we can listen up. We can say, God, I get it. Like right now, I'm being cruel, but I ask that you would help me be kind. Right now, I'm being bitter, but I would ask that you would help me be forgiving. Right now, I'm being selfish, but I ask that you would help me be selfless. Right now, I'm being tight-fisted, but I ask that you would help me to live a generous life. And God will answer that prayer. He can do anything, you know. Far far more than you can ever imagine or ask or request. It really matters that you hear me today. He's so faithful and he's so kind. He is never going to fail to speak lovingly into your life, but we must break out of this overwhelming fear of being wrong. Stop shouting him down. Make a decision today. He's going to speak to you today during this sermon. Make a decision that you will, to the best of your ability, humbly, humbly, humbly listen up. That's his power at work in your life. And all of a sudden you look back and you say, God, you're so faithful. You changed me and you used change me to change my marriage, to change my dating, to change my family, to change my friend group, to change my church, to change my workplace. You don't have to lose to a spirit of fear. You can pray and you can ask God to give you the strength, to give you power to overcome the fear of being wrong. Secondly, pray and he'll give you love to overcome the fear of people. So when I was youth pastor at Southside Church, I did a lot of weddings, a lot, but nothing compared to the first few years of being lead pastor. I was like the only one doing weddings at Southside Church. There was like an avalanche of weddings and it got super interesting for me doing weddings because I'm a little bit like you. There's been times in my life when I've struggled with the fear of people. Less and less, by the way, which is a good thing. Because sometimes you can do the same thing out of a spirit of love and the fear of people. But the fear of people is not love. Because love always gives. And and the fear of people is always about getting. Right? I want to get your approval. I want to get you to like me. I want to get your acceptance. I want to get you to give me two thumbs up. So I remember when I was doing this avalanche of weddings and I asked somebody, should I, should I charge money for doing weddings? And they said, nah, that might offend some people 
you probably shouldn't charge money, but some people will just pay you anyways. And I said, well, the last thing that I would ever want to do is to offend anybody, so I didn't. And then there was this, like, one-year span when no one got married in town. Nobody. Everybody was getting married up on top of some mountain or beside the ocean or at a lake or Timbuktu, like, all over the place. And I remember we had six kids, a a youngish family, and Saturday was my only day off. And often in those years, I would wake up pretty early in the morning and I would drive out to some place in the middle of nowhere to do some wedding. I would drive home and get home late that night. And rehearsals, wedding rehearsals. I think there's like this universal law that says no wedding rehearsal can ever start on time. Have you noticed that? It's usually one of the groomsmen's late, like that lovable rogue Fred. And oh, you know what? Fred's just going to be an hour and a half late. Isn't he hilarious? And you're sitting there going, no, 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 I don't really think Fred's hilarious at all. I remember this one particular rehearsal I did. It was an hour and 15 minutes from my house to this little chapel in the mountains where this couple was getting married. So I left plenty early for the rehearsal, got there about 15 minutes before it was supposed to start. No one else in the parking lot. I was the first one there. I'm like, wow, that's great. So I waited for 15 minutes. Got to be the time that it was actually supposed to start. Still nobody there. 15 more minutes, 20 more minutes. I'm about to give up and and go back home. I think maybe I got the wrong place. And my cell phone rings. And it's the groom. He's like, Mike, man. The thing is, we're about an hour and a half away at the reception hall. We got about another half an hour of decorating. We'll be there in two hours. We'll start this rehearsal in two hours. Man, I'm so glad you're so patient. And you know what? I said, that's awesome because I just didn't want to offend anybody. But there was a particular wedding that forever changed the way that I did weddings. And it was a wedding with no rehearsal, which is kind of important because if I had been to the wedding venue before, well, the rest of this might not have happened. So, this couple gave me an address of where they were going to get married. And it was right on the ocean in Vancouver. I GPSed it, and I found out that it was about an hour and 45 minutes from my house. So I left like two and a half hours early, which would have been plenty of time, except for the fact that there was an ACDC concert and a BC Lions game in Vancouver that day. So man, I get partway into Vancouver, and the traffic has just stopped. And I'm so stressed out. I'm going to be late for this couple's wedding. This is a nightmare. I had no air conditioning in my car. I'm so stressed out. I'm sweating like a pig. It was terrible. I'm sweating and sweating and sweating. And I get there, finally, and the address that they gave for their wedding was a parking lot. It was a parking lot on the ocean. With beach both ways as far as the eye can see. So there's this trail... I'm in my wedding suit, sweating like a pig in my wedding shoes, and there's this trail kind of overlooking the beach, and I look, and as far as I look both ways, I can't see a wedding. I see people uh, tanning, I see people playing beach volleyball, but I don't see any weddings. And so I start to run. I start to run down this path. I run for about five minutes, hoping that I'm going to run into a wedding. But as I keep running for about five minutes, I realize, man, I might be running in the exact wrong direction. So then I turn around, and I start running back. And as I'm running back, I step into a hole. Did I mention I had my wedding suit on and my wedding shoes? Yeah, I did. Okay, so I stepped on this, in this hole, and I blew my ankle out. Like, I mean, 
I blew my ankle out. Like, really, really blew my ankle out. Like, I'm on the ground. I'm covered. My wedding suit now is covered with, like, sand and bark mulch and dirt. And I get up, and now I'm limping down this trail looking for a wedding. And finally, I see another guy wearing a wedding suit. And I call out. I'm like, hey, wedding suit guy, are you here for the such and such wedding? He's like, I am. But we're late, man. We're going to miss the whole thing. I said, probably not, because, like, I'm the pastor, so they can't really start without me. So I'm limping along, and finally, a half an hour after the wedding was supposed to start, we stumble across it. It was through these trees right to the side of the ocean, and when we got there, we were the first two to arrive other than the wedding party. Man, I was so relieved. It turns out that we weren't late because nobody else could find it. But I couldn't really enjoy the great relief I had in not being late. Because did I tell you I blew up my ankle? Guys, I blew out my ankle. Like blew it out. And I'm standing there and my ankle's starting to swell up against my wedding shoe. And I'm in like overwhelming pain. But, but, but we're waiting there. And all I want to do, by the way, is like take my shoe off and like dip my foot in the water. But I can't. So I'm standing there waiting for this stupid wedding to start. But no one can find it. So finally, after waiting for about another 20 minutes, about half the people who were supposed to be there show up. We just gave up on the rest. Like as far as I know, they're still wandering up and down the beach looking for the wedding. So I do the wedding, and, and it's over, but I don't want to leave because I'm not so sure that I can walk. So I stand there, and everybody like walks out of the wedding, and I'm like, wow, hey, see you later, good stuff. And they all kind of leave down the path, and I'm about to start limping back to the car when the father of the bride comes back and he says, hey man, my wife and I were talking and we thought like, you probably drove a couple hours to be here, right? I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it was close to three, but he's like, we want to give you a little something just to say thanks. And I was like, no, 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 that's absolutely fine. You don't have to. He's like, no, we want to. We talked about it. You drove almost three hours. We want to give you something. So he opened up his wallet and he gave me a $5 bill. And in that moment, when he handed me the $5 bill, what I felt like doing was taking off my shoe and beating him to a bloody pulp with it. But I didn't. I said, thank you so much. As I limped to my car later and drove back home, I came up with an idea to do weddings differently. And actually, what's crazy, it's really going to help you today. I would refer to it as the ABC of love. The ABC of love. So A, that's an A. See that? That's an A. Okay, A, awareness. Awareness. Be aware. What is motivating you right now? Is it a heart of love or is it fear of people? Heart of love or fear of people? See, what's crazy, I said this before, sometimes you can do the exact same thing, but sometimes it's out of a heart of love and sometimes it's out of fear of people. You need to be aware what is your motivation. Why are you doing this? Is it a heart of love or is it a fear of people? You say, what does it matter? If you're doing the exact same thing anyways, what does it matter whether it's a heart of love or a fear of people? Here's why. Because if you operate out of a fear of people, eventually this is what will happen. You will cater to people who are far from you and you will neglect those who are close to you. Let me say that again because this is really important. Once you get a really good awareness that you are actually living out of a motivation, uh, of a fear of people, you will notice that you are catering to people far from you and neglecting people close to you. Why? Because you kind of have this sense that these people close to you, they're going to approve of you. They're going to love you no matter what. But what happens is if you operate continually out of fear of people, 
you will neglect those closest to you and you will cater to those farther from you. So here's what you do. You just become aware of it. More and more you ask, where am I getting my motivation? Heart of love or fear of people? And more and more and more and more, you want to make sure that you are operating out of a heart of love. Okay, that's A, awareness. B, boundaries. Boundaries. Set boundaries. That will allow you to stop catering to those far away from you and neglecting those close to you, you know? Like I remember driving back from Vancouver that day and I decided I was going to start charging for weddings. Remember I told you that somebody said, man, people will be offended when you charge for weddings. What's amazing is that people were a little bit offended, but that's okay. They have a right to get angry, but it's better for me than I live my whole life full of resentment wanting to beat people with a, into a bloody pulp with my wedding shoe, right? I even came up with a rule that I said, I'll marry people in town, but if you're going to get married out of town, I'm going to charge extra so that even if I'm gone for a long time that day, I can get home and say, Corinne, I'm going to take you out for dinner. Oh, rehearsals, rehearsals. I got a really easy rule with rehearsals now. This is what I do. I say, um, I will be there for one hour. You choose the time I arrive. Okay, and I'll be there for one hour. So A is awareness. Am I motivating myself out of a heart of love or a fear of people? B is boundaries, set boundaries. And C is confidence. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm confident of this. That God, who began a good work in you, will carry it out into completion. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Is I found in my life sometimes that I have a chance encounter with somebody or maybe I I meet a couple that I'm going to marry. And I think to myself, man, like, maybe I'm the only person that they know that really loves Jesus, that can really, really help them. And, and, I, and I have to just continue. Whatever they ask me to do, I just have to keep doing it. I have to, I have to be there for them. And meanwhile, there's people close to me that I'm neglecting. And, and I realize that the problem is, I'm not confident. See, I've got to get to the point where I realize, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, so I need to let Jesus be Jesus. Do you understand what I mean? So if I meet this person, if I meet this couple for a moment, i got to trust that God's going to take that moment and add it on to a bunch of other moments that he's using to get that person into a place where they can really see how much he loves them. There's a spirit of fear running rampant in our world today. But if we pray, God's going to help us defeat it. He's going to give us power to overcome a fear of being wrong. He's going to give us love to overcome a fear of people. And thirdly, he's going to give us a sound mind to overcome a fear of missing out. There's this part of your brain, I'm not really like a neurosurgeon, you probably knew that already. I'm not a rocket scientist either. There's this part of your brain called the cerebral cortex. And inside the cerebral cortex, there's this part of your brain that does a cost-benefit analysis. And I swear that that part of our brains is getting weaker and weaker with every passing year. The part of our brain that does a cost-benefit analysis, the part of our brain that says, hey, how's this going to work out? See, if you ask God, he's going to give you a sound mind. A sound mind that will stop allowing you to have your feelings trump your future. Your feelings can't trump your future. Do you understand what I mean? It's the cost-benefit analysis. So, Let's start simple. Let's imagine that you say, man, in my future one day, in my future one day, I would love to be able to buy a house. That's not easy in our world today, by the way. That's a big goal. But let's say that's the goal that you set for your future. But sometimes your feelings can trump your future. You know what I mean? In that moment, you can say, 
what I really feel like doing is going out for dinner every day. What I really feel like doing is buying a new car. Mine's super old. It's a 2021. I need a new one. What I really feel like doing is getting a new set of golf clubs. What I really feel like doing is spending $25 a day at Starbucks. Whatever that is, your feelings can't be allowed to trump your future. Let's get a little more serious now. Your marriage. So let's imagine that you have a future plan for your marriage, that in your future you want to see the two of you grow closer and closer together, to be a team, to raise your kids together, to leave a legacy together. But every once in a while, your feelings will threaten to trump your future. You say, man, I feel like flirting with that person that I'm not married to. I, I feel like compromising. And if I don't do it, I feel like I'm missing out. But the cost-benefit analysis, the sound mind that God gives you will say, no, 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 no. My feelings in this moment do not trump the incredible plan I have for my future. It's like raising kids too, right? You can say, what are the plans that I have for my kids in the future? And I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to know that they're supported. I want them to know that God has gifted them in incredible ways to, to, to really make a difference in our world. But sometimes my feelings threaten to trump that future plan I have for them. Because right now, maybe I feel like acting out of anger. I feel like speaking out of spite. But God's going to give you a sound mind. And he's going to give you the ability to go, no, no, no. I'm not going to allow this feeling in this moment to jeopardize the future that God has given me for my kids, for my finances, for my marriage, whatever that is. You ask God and he's going to give you a sound mind. I asked myself how I wanted to end this message. Because I think this is really powerful. I really do think that there's a spirit of fear running amok in our world today. And I don't think we have to lose. I don't think that the spirit of fear can control us if we ask God to give us power, love, a sound mind. Power, love, a sound mind. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray. Pray. Pray and ask God, God, would you give me power and love and a sound mind, please? We just ended a series called Five to start this year of 2022 off, and it was all about being a people of prayer. If you missed any weeks of that, man, go back and watch it. I think it's so important. Pray. Are you anxious? Pray. Are you fearful? Pray. Shatter this illusion of self-sufficiency and pray. Say, God, I need your help. I need your help to overcome this spirit of fear. Give me power and love and a sound mind. Are you anxious? Then pray. But it's really, really incredible because the very next sentence of this passage, listen to it. It says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, worthy, think about such things. You want to overpower the spirit of fear? Yeah, you can do it. Pray. And then, and then, and then set your mind on lovely. Set your mind on admirable. Set your mind on excellent. Set your mind on praiseworthy. And I'm not going to stand up here right now and give you all kinds of examples of the dumb things you're watching or reading. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the positive. Okay? So, so how do you overcome the spirit of fear? 
start setting your mind on lovely things, on admirable things, on beautiful things, on praiseworthy things. So number one, pray. Yeah, pray. Spend time with God. Speak to him and ask him to speak to you. Number two, make church attendance a priority. Be here online, in person. Make it a priority to not miss a single week. Fill your mind with excellent things, with praiseworthy things. Thirdly, read. Spend some time in the Bible every day. Right now it's Lent. And so a lot, a lot of us, including me, I'm spending time every day going through the Southside Lent devotionals. Wake up, walk on. If you haven't signed up for them yet, you can still do that. You can text the keyword Lent to 604-670-3040. And when it comes to when you put your headphones on in the gym or go for a run or get in your car, can I make a suggestion? Instead of listening to whatever you normally listen to, whether it's mindless podcast or whatever it is, why don't you start listening to praise music? Listen to the Southside music team. Listen to uh, other praise music. It doesn't really matter, but excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, admirable things. Listen to it. And here's what's crazy. Listen to this. Every time you decide that you're going to set your mind to something lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, every single time, if you decide to pray, if you decide to attend church, if you decide to read the Bible, if you decide to do devotions, if you decide to listen to praise music, every single time, you will face resistance. Something inside of you is going to go, no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really want to. Yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense, right? It makes perfect sense. Did I mention this before? There's a spiritual battle raging in our world. And you have an enemy who opposes you. And what he wants to do is he, he wants to send to you, he wants to oppress you with a spirit of fear. You can overcome that when you fill your mind with lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. So pray and believe you are not powerless. God's going to send you power, love, and a sound mind. So as we close today, I just ask you if you would take a moment of reflection, just to bow your heads and close your eyes, that'd be great. Just want to speak right now, just for a moment. I want to ask you, how are you doing? I went through a whole list during the sermon of, of the ways that the spirit of fear is wreaking havoc in our world. How's it working for you? There's something that I really want to tell you. There's something that you really need to know today. It's the most important thing that I could ever tell you. It's the most important thing that you could ever know. That God does not want you to lose to the spirit of fear. God wants you to live a powerful life. A life of love. A life of a sound mind. And he secured that for you when he sent his son Jesus to die for you and to rise again for you. So darkness and despair and defeat have been defeated through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what I'm wondering for you is like, do you feel do you feel powerless right now? Do you feel overwhelmed right now? And maybe it's because you've never invited Jesus into your life. He died for you. He rose again for you. Everything that needed to be done has been done. And so the next step is yours, actually. If you've never invited him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, that's the first step to defeating the spirit of fear, to defeating the spirit of anxiety in your life. So if that's you, I just want to ask you right now with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, whether you're online or in person, could you just be really bold right now? Can you raise your hand? 
raise your hand. It's just today is the day. Jesus, I know what you did for me. You died for me. You rose again for me. And so today is the day that I want to just take hold of that salvation and overcome that spirit of fear. So if you just raised your hand, whether you're in person or online, I'm going to pray out loud and I invite you just to pray silently along with me. So dear God, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you defeated despair, you defeated darkness, and you defeated death for me. So today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. I thank you that you came, that my sins could be forgiven. Thank you. I accept from you that new start. And, God, and Jesus, thank you that you rose again. Today, I ask you to be my Lord. I shatter the illusion of self-sufficiency, and I take hold of your power. And I pray that you would give me power, love, and a sound mind moving forward that I can be the person, that I can make the difference that you created me to make, and that I can live the life today, tomorrow, and forever that you have planned for me. Thank you. I love you in your name. Amen. Amen. We can celebrate that, church. That's great. So I want to turn it over to the band now. And there's a specific song that I asked them to sing. And it's a song that basically talks about a God that when we shatter our illusion of self-sufficiency, it's a God who we know isn't just kind of for us, doesn't just kind of care, but he is fully, completely, totally with us and totally for us, and that is absolutely, completely, totally enough. It's an excellent song. It's an admirable song. It's something that we should fill our minds with before we head out today. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.